0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Speaking of new creations, uh, this—how many people in here now will be baptized this afternoon? Anybody? Is anybody in here? Your son. Okay. Okay. So I know, and you guys have some family. So that's an awesome thing, too. I hope, I hope um, we can show some support for that. I mean, they're not, they, they're not just joining a church. This isn't them joining an organization, and this is, this is sort of their hazing, you know, that they've got to <laughs> be dunked in cold water. It's when they, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but when, when they go under this water and they come up, that means something. That means that old life is gone. Paul says, I don't recognize anybody according to the flesh anymore. Whatever you were before, I'm not seeing that. I'm not treating you that way. I'm not, my expectation of you isn't that. I don't even remember those things. You're not that person. You're a new creation, and you're part of a new kingdom, and you're part of a, you have a new love, and a new motivation, and a new, lots of new things. All things become new. That's what that's talking about. So, and, and and we're all part of this, you know. The, we sang the song. One of the words, or, uh, part of the words to one of the songs we just finished singing was, "Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done." And and what they have become is part of a new kingdom. You know, Jesus became. Jesus was this. He was a contradiction, right? I don't want. I was trying to think earlier when I was talking at the first service. Kind of a word to use to describe, and Jesus was such a contradiction to things that people who thought they knew it all had it together had got this. He walked around with a whole different way of looking at things, and even today you know we can look at things and if and, and we we can feel like there are just great contradictions in the Bible, for instance, if you look uh um at uh, John 3.16, right? That's pretty familiar. For God so loved the world that he he gave his only begotten son, right? You know that one? Okay. So God loved the world, right? That's what it says. For God so loved the world. It's not hard to understand, not hard to believe. So we should love everything that God loves, right? Okay. But why did the same guy that wrote For God so loved the world in John 3.16 also write in 2 John that do not love the world. Same guy wrote it. It's because it's not a contradiction. It's that the world that, that we're accustomed to is not the world that God loves. I mean, he does love us, but, but he's not... He's, be careful, Tom. He, he loves everyone in this world, but this is not the world that he wanted. This is not the kingdom that he wanted. He said, when he came and John came before him, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And sometimes we think, because of the, the placement in time and when these things were said, that he's talking about the church is the kingdom of heaven. That it, that it was going to begin right there. But that's really not true. The kingdom of heaven is on this planet because God made this thing and, in, and it began in the Garden of Eden. God walked around in His kingdom in His garden with His man, and He loved it all. And that was for a really short time. What His intention of that kingdom was supposed to be—that's what it was supposed to look like. I mentioned earlier that 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 um, the that says God walked around in the cool of the day and talked with Adam and Eve. It's one of those moments that you would say doesn't get any better than this. Just the just the the beautiful peace and. And relationship and things that, that, that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God himself, we can't even fathom hardly. But, that's, but that was God's kingdom. He put his kingdom on the earth. And it says, there's a, there's a, there's a psalm, I think it's 115, that says, the, the Lord, the heavens belong to God, but the earth he's given to the sons of man. That's a pretty amazing statement. When you think of it, his gifts and, and his gifts and arrangements are without. Uh, um, what's the word I want to say? What's that verse say? Irrevocable. That's it. Thank you. Yeah. See, you could go on Ellen, too. <laughs> They're irrevocable. So Adam messed up big time, Adam and Eve, but he's still in charge. He's still in control. God gave gave this planet to no one else except for man to, to Satan's great frustration. Because Satan wanted to control something, and he knows that he's, he still does do a pretty good job. And the reason that the kingdom looks like we see it now, that the earth looks like what we see now, is because of, of Satan's ability to use man's authority to bring about his plan, his will. So the kingdom that we see, and the kingdom that, that John in the second version, in 1 in John says, don't love the world, that's what he's talking about, because he goes on to say, what's in the world now? The lust of the flesh, lust of the the eyes, the boastful pride of life. That's not that's not the, the stuff that comes from heaven. That wasn't the kingdom that God had intended. That's something way, way different. It's something that that is a result of a corrupt wisdom. And because of the wisdom, because of the fall, and our, our wisdom became corrupted just like just like Satan's actually did. It says he was he was perfect, perfect, Lucifer in all of his ways, and he blameless in everything that he did until disobedience was found in him, and his wisdom became corrupt. His wisdom became corrupted. It goes on to say by by virtue of his beauty. So there was a there was a selfishness that began, which is the origin of all that you see that's evil. We we just. I read over the weekend last, last night, yesterday evening, I'm not sure what time it happened, um, some crazy man went into a Jewish synagogue in Philadelphia and, and killed, I don't know how many ended up dying, but last I heard it was like 11 or 12. That's not, that's not a good thing. God, that's, not, that's not God's kingdom. That's not, how, that's not how it was supposed to be. This world that you see, and that's the thing when God's saying, is, don't love that world, love the people in it, love the people enough to bring them out of this world into this new kingdom because we all have that capacity. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And, and when, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God coming, he he said, the answer to the question, where is the kingdom? He said, you can't see it. You can't point to it and say, that's the kingdom, that's the kingdom, because it's inside of us. It's in us. And this is the third, you've probably heard me talk about this before, but it's the third uh, version of the kingdom of heaven. Eden was the first one, right? What was the second one? Anybody know? I do. I ask questions. Usually I don't get answers, but the, <laughs> the second one was in the, um, was the children of Israel in the land of Canaan. Because God said, okay, I'm going to have a kingdom that will will see me as their God and their king. And in this kingdom... When they root out all that's evil in the land and they, and they take possession of this kingdom with me as their God and them as my people, we're going we're to try to do this thing again. And when they go in, he told them, while in in, well, they're in the wilderness, he said, right at the threshold, he says, you guys, the, all the diseases that you knew while you were in Egypt, you're not going to see them ever again. You'll never get sick. No one will ever run a temperature. Can you imagine that? We're still in that in that fallen world. He, he promised no one is ever going to get sick. You, everything you you set your hand to do will prosper. It's it's going to be so good. There will be in God's kingdom in what in what God had originally intended. There would be no sorrow, no sadness, no no evil, no wickedness, no anger, no loneliness. I mean just think of all the the things and we know that because when guy way back in the garden we, we made this distinction between good and evil. He said it's all good now. If you if you can just keep from taking this fruit, it'll all be good. But if you eat the fruit, you will attain the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil. That's why there's evil in this world, there's good. There's amazing beauty and amazing heroic human beings. And there's also some horrible, horrible people who do horrible, horrible things because they have a different wisdom. They have a wisdom that's corrupted, and it seems like it makes sense to them. This is going to deviate way, 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 way different from the first service, I have a feeling, just by the way this is going, but... Surprise! Um, So think back. It didn't take very long for Cain... Remember, he was the firstborn of man, Cain. And the firstborn of man got it so, so wrong, so wrong. And it just began with a simple thing. God said he had instituted sacrifices. This this is looking forward to the time when Jesus would perform the, the ultimate sacrifice and redeem man. He instituted sacrifice from the very beginning. And he said, Something has to die, something innocent has to die, and it has, it has to involve blood. It's, it's pretty simple. But the Bible says that Cain was a tiller. I mean, Cain was, yeah, Cain was a tiller of the field, and Abel was a tender of the lambs, okay? So Cain, with his fallen, corrupt wisdom, began to reason why is this something that God would value? For me to take one of the lambs that Abel has put his sweat and and tears into in time and offer that to God. I want to offer him something that's mine. Something that I have been involved with. Something that's me. Because that's what I value. I value that. And God had no regard for it. God didn't get mad. He just said, that ain't it. So then Cain gets mad. Again, more that. Corrupted wisdom. And God himself goes and talks to Cain and says, why are you upset? If you do right, it's all good. It's going to be fine. Just do it as I said it. I want obedience. And Cain couldn't handle it. He just couldn't do it. His mind could not wrap itself around that kind of wisdom. But that was the wisdom that was always supposed to be ours. The wisdom of the world doesn't, it just cannot grasp this kind of a thing because the wisdom of the world is totally selfish. So, you know, moving forward then, you know, we, we come up into the, to the New Testament, Jesus, Jesus. You know, so, he, so he had, it. the garden didn't work out, the land of Canaan didn't work out because the, the children of Israel, God said, I want to be your king, right? This is my kingdom, I want to be your king. But what do the children of Israel want? No, we want a king like all those other guys as kings. We want that kind of a kingdom. And God said, that's not my kingdom. That's not my kingdom. So then fast forward into the New Testament and Jesus starts talking about the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's a difference. This this time something's different about this new kingdom. Why would God keep Keep going to man and saying, "Here, man, I want you to to um, produce the kingdom the way I want it on the earth the way that, that is my kingdom. Why would he keep going to man and thinking expecting that man's going to be able to pull this off with his corrupt wisdom and his corrupt influence of the fallen angels and, and Satan and, and a fallen world and everything fallen fallen? Why would he think that man could pull this off? but he keeps coming back, and Jesus come back, came back and he began to, um, you know, (laughs) illustrate how his kingdom was supposed to work on this planet, okay? So, but he became, okay, so, so, sacrifice was a big deal, right? So then, in the time of Saul, when Saul became the first king, there was a test. And, and he said, uh, Samuel, who was God's spokesman, he was the prophet who spoke to Samuel. At one point, when Samuel was, um, He was supposed to do something that he didn't do. And so Samuel calls him on it. And Samuel starts making, I mean, Saul starts making excuses. And Samuel makes this comment. He said, I desire obedience over sacrifice. Okay. So there's a new twist. I thought you wanted sacrifice. Now it's like, I desire obedience over sacrifice. So, got it. Obedience. Got this. So now there's this whole system of laws. We have the Ten Commandments, we have the the law that God gave to Moses, and then, in addition to that, which is the, you know, the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible contained the law, there are books that the Jews came up with, which were rule books to explain the rules, and another rule book to explain the rules that explain the rules, and it was just, they became experts in obedience. Okay? So, now fast forward now to the New Testament, and Jesus seems to be somebody who just contradicts all of that again because these guys know how to obey the law and Jesus seemed to have a problem with them. So what is up with that? We look back from the, from the calling of, of, uh, of Matthew. Remember Matthew was a tax collector? In those days a tax collector was somebody people didn't like. Not that, we, you know, not, the, not much different now but <laughs> they really didn't like him because these guys were, were, they were national sellouts. They, they collected taxes to be, to be paid to Rome, and these people were taken captivity by a foreign nation in theirs and paying taxes to a foreign country. So the tax collectors were pretty hated people, and they put them in the same category as sinners. So when Matthew was called, Jesus is, has he's just performed a miracle, and he goes and he sees Matthew sitting at a table. He's a tax collector, and he says, he says Matthew, follow me. Matthew gets up, no questions asked. He gets up and says, I'm with you. He follows him. Then, a little bit after that, they go, they go to a place that Jesus is having supper in a, in a house, and a whole bunch of tax collectors are there. Why do you suppose that is? Because Matthew found something that that moved, that moved changed his life. And he, they, he was among a hated class of people. So he talks to all of his other, other friend tax collectors, and they go to Jesus' house. And the sinners are there too, and the Pharisees say, What? What is wrong with you? Why are you... Do you, real, do you not realize you're, you're eating? Your meal is with tax collectors and sinners. Don't you realize what you're doing? So then Jesus makes this statement. These are talking to people who are all about obedience. He said, I desire... He said, well, first he said, go and figure out what this means. This is a, I love these little statements that Jesus makes because if he's telling them to go figure out what it means, I'm going to go figure out what it means. And he says, figure out what this means. I desire mercy more than sacrifice I, and more than obedience. That's what it should say. I, desire, I think the verse says, I desire mercy more than obedience. Flipped him out. I mean, it's just like, what? You, you know, contradicting all the time. And, yet, and so, so how do you do this? How do you demand obedience and then also demand Mercy as well, because obedience you i mean that's something you, you have to come down with a hammer and demand obedience there's no mercy about this there's, pun, there's penalties and punishments if people are disobedient that's how you keep people that wasn't what Jesus did that wasn't the kingdom that's not what jesus' kingdom was all about that's still the old kingdom thinking they were trying to trying to mix what God was talking about obedience, and they, they built it into a kingdom that, that fit them, put them in control and them and them in charge. Years ago, in 1943, there was a man who published a paper, and this, this man, was a, he, was a, um, he was a humanist psychologist. Anybody know who I might be talking about? <laughs> Not yet. Give me another clue. His name was Abraham Maslow. Ring a bell? Okay. I thought some of you might know that. Okay. Do you know the publish, what the paper he published? He said it was a pa- it was a paper entitled something like um, uh, a study in the in motivation or something like that. Okay, so he was he was just so he came up with this thing that was that was known as the needs what what is it Colleen? I know you know what it is needs hierarchy. Who said that? Smart. There's a smart person in here. The needs hierarchy, okay? And there's five things. And just so I get this right, I just I, I printed this up this morning. Okay. What he what he theorized was there are there is he, he did this in a form of a pyramid. So there's basic needs on the bottom, and everybody what motivates them is taking care of these basic needs. And they're they're the biological and physiological needs. In other words, you have to eat, you have to sleep, you have to have water, you have to have warmth, uh, shelter, safety from the elements. And if you don't have those things, you will die very quickly. So that's a big motivating force, right? Let's just have those things. So once those are taken care of, then you go up to the next level. And the next level, level is safety needs, protection, security, law and order, stability, freedom from fear, that's the next thing you go after. You gotta. You, you want to go after once you once you're you're fed and, and watered and you're safe and warm and all this stuff. You want to make sure that you're you just you have this security, so it motivates you. Okay. The next thing going up the up the ladder is um, the feeling of belonging, friendship, intimacy, belonging to to another group, something bigger than than what you are. So those aren't really things you're concerned about. You know, when you're in the desert, thirsting to death, you're just looking for water. So it's like you, you get what I'm saying. Is a there's a progression, and then once you get to the um, past, this, the third step, the fourth step is is uh, achievement, self-esteem, things, dad, uh, status, dominance. You know, you you try to you try to um, you know fit yourself into your surrounding, the the people that you're around, and and elevate yourself to the highest point that you can get. You know. So, And then once that's established, once you've gotten all that, then we have uh, what's called self-actualization, which is realizing complete uh, self-personal potential and self-fulfillment, right? So it's at the very top of the heap. It's when you've achieved that, you've got it all. You've got all your needs taken care of. In the story, as I uh, spoke to the people this morning, the story of the rich young ruler, he was a man who had achieved all that. In a, in a short period of time, he was young. So he had it all going on. So he goes to, um, to he hears about Jesus, right? And Jesus keeps talking about this kingdom. So here's a guy who thinks there's, there's nothing in his world that can go on that he can't conquer, that he needs to be, he shouldn't be a part of. And he's got it all together. So he, so he goes and listens to Jesus. He wants to hear about this kingdom. So we have a little bit of a hint about who this guy was. He's, he, he's also kind of a, of a contradiction in a sense because, uh, well, you'll see this as it go on. In the first part, that this is, there are three different books that talk about that story. In the Luke version, um, we know from the very beginning of the chapter, and this is part that a lot of people, I think, just just read on by because they don't make this connection. But it says Jesus was talking to some people in the crowd who were very proud and full of themselves and thought they were, they were better than other people. So, so then Jesus talks about the, the, the um, he gives the parable of the, of the woman or the tax collector who goes in and to the temple, and then there's another guy who goes in the temple who is a Pharisee. And the Pharisee says, thank God I'm not like this guy. Okay? And then the, the, tax, the tax collector says, he just can't even raise his head. He's bowing his head saying, be merciful. Just be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that guy went home justified rather than the other guy. So this rich young ruler, which I think, you can't prove it, but I believe he was a Pharisee. He hears this and he thinks, it's getting, it's getting under his skin. So the next thing Jesus talks about that, that some women are bringing their children to Jesus. And, and it's irritating people. Even, even Jesus' disciples get irritated. and said, send these kids away. And Jesus said no, bring them to me. Because and he starts blessing them, and he says, "Such, such as such as these belong the kingdom of heaven. If you don't receive the kingdom as one of these children, you won't know it. You won't understand it. You will never see the kingdom of heaven." So now, it's like this guy. Okay, enough. Now Jesus starts. He starts. Says he's packing up. He's getting ready to leave town. He's done with this thing here, and he's leaving. So this guy sees, okay, he, he just bolts and gets right up in front of him, drops down in front of him and says, okay, Jesus, I know you're a good teacher. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Good, there's only one good, and that's my father. And so he says, you, get, you have to, he, and he was doing that to just make the rich young ruler understand what he was about to ask. And he said, but he says, what, what do I do? And it's like, here's a guy, again, he's got it all together. It says, if, if it takes money, I got it. If it takes position, I got that. I can make this happen. Whatever it is, I want in on this deal that you're talking about. I want a part of the kingdom. And he's totally misunderstanding what the kingdom's about. He cannot get it. He doesn't get it. He still has that corrupt wisdom, the same kind of wisdom that Cain had, that thought it was all about elevating yourself, the thing that, that Maslow was talking about. The, the one thing that, that, that's on his list of motivations that should have been on the very top of this list this is a little thing called love and no one was ever motivated by love he couldn't conceive of anybody being motivated by pure love it's all about selfish it's what's going to elevate me make me better keep me okay the children of israel when they were crossing the the wilderness you know their first motivation was get out of this prison that they were in called egypt and that was that that the second level of motivation of their, I mean they they were fed such as it was the food that they ate they were fed and, and they had they had shelter and all that, so that was all taken care of. Now they just they wanted they wanted safety, they wanted security, they wanted to get out of this thing. So they, they get out in the wilderness, and pretty soon they're out in the wilderness, they got what they wanted, and they revert back to need number one. Well, it's better for us we, there, at least we had water, at least we had food, at least we had these things, we gotta go back. So they just see people flip back and forth between these motivations, and God saying and God put them in this place. And he says, I fed you manna in the wilderness because I'm trying to break you guys of something. The wor- that, that kingdom thinking that's all about you and, and elevating yourself and make you better than everybody else. You guys were collecting manna. You had to totally depend on me for this manna. And there's not one of you. I don't care how smart you are. I don't, I don't care how, how uh, intuitive you are. I don't care how, how ambitious you are, how strong you are. No, there was nothing that made one able to rise above the other, because if you thought I'm going to be industrious, I'm going to am going to save this, and maybe I'll maybe I'll collect the stuff that he's not eating, maybe I'll I'll sell a little bit on the side, maybe I'll build a little business here in the desert. None of that was going to happen, because if they tried to save it, it spoiled, turned rotten. And Jesus did that for a reason. He said, "I did all this because when you go into this wilderness or into this this promised land, and you have all this." I want you to know it's not by the strength of your arm. I want you to have it, but it's not your pride that got it there. It's a new motivation. It's a, it's, it's a new kingdom. It's a new way of looking at the life. It's my kingdom. And my kingdom is not ruled by the things that this other kingdom's ruled by. It's something inside that looks at other people as more important than themselves. In fact, Philippians, let me just read that one. Read that verse to you. got a thousand verses here. Um, Okay, yeah, Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. That's like, who says that? To, to, to get ahead, to succeed in, in this world, in the kingdom, the way, God's, the, the way it is now in the world, this would not fly. It just wouldn't work. Thinking of other people is more important than myself. First I've got to think of myself as more important, then I can help the little people. That's kind of how, how we would see this. It's, it's backwards, it's corrupt wisdom, and the world is filled with corrupt wisdom. So with the rich young ruler, he, you know, Jesus says, okay, he, he challenges him because the rich young ruler is, is begging him to, to be challenged. And he, he says, he said, what do I need to do? And he says, okay, you know the commandments. He says, okay, which ones? Yeah, I do know the commandments. So he's thinking, got going to go to the obedience thing. I can do that. So specifically, let's get specific, which ones? And I don't know if you noticed it, but, but, but Jesus just raced past a whole bunch of the commandments and got to four different commandments that's, that's, that's mentioned in, the, in most of these uh, versions. And the four commandments that he mentioned were, honor your father and your mother, do not kill, do not uh Lie and do not steal Hmm. that's it. got it I've got that and and so it's like I've done that stuff from the time I was little, but the thing is what Jesus was telling him was even in the world the the kingdom of the world the way that is out there now, there's kind of a social contract that's known the worldwide, everybody, no one would argue the fact that you don't kill people, that that's not a good thing. They still do it, but it's not a good thing. You don't lie. You don't, well, sometimes you lie, but that's, you know, you know, your, your lie is my little white, you know, little secret thing. So, he says, I got all this. Anything else. And he keeps pressing Jesus. So he just okay, yeah, so here it is. Sell everything you got, give it to the poor, come follow me. Now, the thing that was going to get him into the kingdom of heaven was not obeying those commandments. It wasn't selling the stuff that he had. It was the come-follow-me part. That's what he was getting to. But the, but the, and then he goes on to say to his disciples, it's really hard for a person who's rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not because he's rich. It's not because of the wealth. It's because of the, of, of that, the thinking that does not have a place for the kind of motivation that we, that we understand in the kingdom of heaven. Because if you're rich, it's like what you've got, it, you know, it's, it's all this in one, all the, all the needs are met, because you can take care of it all if you've, got, if you've got this wealth. And then it's all about you and what you've done and what you've accomplished and what you are and who you can be. And that's what God was constantly saying, that's not my kingdom. So that's what he was trying to illustrate to the rich young ruler. And I said that earlier this morning. So, so look at the rich young ruler. I we should I have known his name because it would be a lot easier than saying the rich young ruler. So he understood the commandments. He, I mean, he he is a good good Jew. He knows all these stories. He knew the story of Job. So in the story of Job, Job gets very wealthy, right? And that's before even the, the covenant with Israel. So Job gets really wealthy. And um, But then something happens. Job begins to change. And you'd have to, you'd have to go through the whole book to, to, to know what I'm trying to give you in a, in a nutshell here. But Job began to think, I did this. Job suffered a whole bunch of calamities in his life, or in a, in a short period of his life. He lost his family, a bunch of sons and daughters, his wife, everything he owned, all of his stuff, the cattle, everything was just gone. And in all of his dialogue, from that moment on, there's like one or two sentences that he regrets losing his family, and the rest of it is about losing his position and he and he starts talking about how. When I used to go into a town, I mean, people would just, they knew my name, they would stand up, and there are people now, there are the sons of people that I would have nothing to do with are now laughing at me, and that's what really got under his skin. He was proud. He thought he had really, really done something. And it took all this whole conversation, this is a really long book, took all this conversation, and the one kid, the one person that God didn't rebuke at the end of the day was this kid who came along and says, look, you guys are older than me, I respect you. But, And I've tried not to say anything, but I just have to say, Job, really, you know, this is not about you. And he was the only one in the whole book that God didn't rebuke in the end. In the end of the book, he's rebuking Job, and he, says, he said, look, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I put the borders of the seas and the oceans and the mountains? He goes through this whole big thing, and he says, when you can show me that you were there and part of this thing, then I'll be impressed with your strong arm. It wasn't about a strong arm. So Job repents. And in the end, what happens? What is, what, what's the end of the story for Job? Twice. So if riches are something horrible that leads people necessarily to this evil, and God being a good God, why in the world would God then give him twice as much as the thing that messed him up? It wasn't the riches. It's the pride of life, the selfish pride of life, the thing. That, that It says, don't love the world or the things in the world because it says there's a pride, the boastful pride of life, the, the, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. That's what's in the world now, two different worlds. I, when it says, for God so loved the world, and then later in John it says, uh, uh, do not love the world. I thought, okay, I'm going to look at the Hebrew meanings because I'm going to find some slight difference. And I looked up love. Same love. That's agape love. I looked up world. Same world. And the world there is the word that we use that that we would say, order. So God loved the order. He loved the, the order that he set up. It was his kingdom. It's what he always wanted. And the expression of it was best found in the garden before they sinned. It's what he wants now. What he wants for us. He doesn't want us to be poor. He wants us to be, he wants us to have this amazing, wonderful life with him as king, yes. Amen. so why did he not why did the rich young ruler this is the the thing that surprised me was that the uh, the rich young ruler walked away because i said as I said earlier he's, here's a guy who has everything how oh. <laughs> broken heart. Here's a guy who's got it all. He's got it all going together, going on. And, so he, and he meets Jesus and he walks away sad. What's wrong with this picture? And the second thing that's wrong with this picture is that Jesus lets him walk away sad. And it said, you know, right before that, it said Jesus looked at him before he said, you've got to follow me. He said he looked at him, He said he loved him. And yet he let him walk away sad. Why didn't he go after him? Because he, didn't, he knew that he did not have the capacity to understand what Jesus was talking about when he was going to say, there's a different motivation. Why didn't he understand it? Why wouldn't he understand it? His mind had been corrupted. And even the people, the rulers, the, the religious leaders, the, 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 the what they would call the lawyers in the land, who knew? Who could, who could explain every piece of the of the Old Testament law? Couldn't get this, and Jesus demonstrated it with a, with a thing with this little uh, um, situation. Not long after he was talking to, to the Pharisees, there, um, he goes into the temple and he's doing his thing, and the Pharisees think they're going to trap him because they don't they don't want to they don't want to know they don't want to understand. They've got a system, and it's working for them, and it's worked, and they're good with it. He, this guy's a disruptor. So they think they're going to call him out, and they think they're going to trap him. So they bring in a woman, probably a naked woman, you know, in the middle of this, of this thing, puts her on the ground in front of Jesus and, says, and demands of him, says, look, you're supposed to be a teacher of the law? You supposedly understand and know Moses? Moses said... This woman, she was caught in adultery, caught in the very act of adultery. This they, they specified that, emphasized, she was in the act of adultery. I first of all have to wonder how that is. Where were they at the time that they, they're actually catching this, this thing going on? But she says, okay, so she was caught in the act of this is what Moses says. Moses says she must die. What do you say? Jesus. So Jesus, you know, he gets down and he starts doodling in the sand. And he stands up, and um, you can just picture, I mean, you never get the full impact when you just read this, this nice little paragraph. This must have been a horrible stir. I mean, this is a big deal. This woman is there, and the, the crowd is just, you know, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? And so Jesus doodles, and he, he stands up, and he says, here, okay, here's the deal. Let's just do it this way, okay? The one of you who is without sin, let him be the one who casts the first stone. Then I'm with you, because what are you going to do? I mean, you got you got me dead to rights. So that's what it looks like. It looks like they had him, because the law did say that, right? So Jesus says that, and nobody, nobody picks up a stone. He gets down, and he starts to write again. So here's what I think he was writing. There was something about what he was doing there that they saw that changed. It was a deal changer. And one by one, it says, starting with the oldest, they just kind of just backed away. So what was it? So this is what I think it was. And I'll just read it to you. Um, If I had my act together, I probably would have had um, an overhead. Um, Still not together. Okay, here it is. Okay. So this is is the first thing that he wrote in the sand. He said, If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Okay, He writes that, and then he stands up, and at that point he says, okay, anybody who's without sin, cast the first stone. Okay, So they're not getting it. They think, okay, yeah, we know what the law says. Because that was, that was one of the things of the law. That was Leviticus 20. And then he gets down, so he says, okay, I'll give you the other one. So he sits down, and he, 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 he stoops down, and he writes Deuteronomy 22. Those are the two places, the only two places in the Old Testament, the law of Moses that address what they're talking about right here. And they challenge him and say, your Moses said this. What do you say? He says, I'll tell you exactly what Moses said, first of all. And then the second thing, Deuteronomy says, if a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman... Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. Okay, somebody see anything missing in that picture? Where's this man? You caught him in the act, and you dragged this woman here? Are you kidding me? Did you know this man? Was this a sting? Was this all just to to get me? Look at what the law of Moses says. It's addressing if a man, where's the man? So that's why he said, now, knowing that, going by what you've told me, what what you've laid out, this this is the deal. This is the whole truth. Now let whoever is without sin cast the first stone. And they were not without sin. They were not following the law. They were selectively doing what they wanted to do. They were disobeying the law of Moses. He had them. They had to walk away. So then he turns to the woman and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to accuse you either. But go and sin no more. That's mercy. That's mercy when, there's, when the law says she has to die. But you got to see the whole thing you got to know the whole thing because it's a brilliant tightrope between allowing sin to go on and being judgmental. You say, look, I'm not going to condemn you. yeah, It might have been me. And I'm not that much better than you. I'm not better than you at all. But don't do this anymore. This is destructive. You've got to stop this. And the way to stop this is to get away from this. What brought you to this is the old kingdom thinking? What makes you feel good? What looks good? This boastful pride of life—that's what's in the world. You gotta—you have to understand. You can't—you've got to stop this. Okay, so quickly—I—I I didn't know until the first service that they, they actually have a countdown thing up there. And I've, if you guys all start going five, four, I'm—I'm just—I'm leaving. <laughs> So okay, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta kind of wrap this up. So he didn't try to explain it to the rich young ruler. John himself, John, the, I mean, uh, John the Baptist, had a hard time with it. He 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 knew Jesus was supposed to come. He was supposed to herald Jesus coming, and Jesus was going to be this guy who condemns sin worse than he did. I mean, Jesus, John the Baptist was the guy with the with the you guys, brood of vipers, you know. Who do you think you are? Who warned you to flee from the judgment to come? And the judgment that's coming is coming from Cousin Jesus. And he's coming to get you. And he knows how. He's got a big stick. Okay? That's not what Jesus did. That's why John, who knew who Jesus was, sent his guys and said, Are you the guy? Should we look for somebody else? He knew who it was. He knew who it was. And John was good with... I think John was okay with dying. It was all okay. What bothered him was... I'm going to die here probably. I'm in prison. I'm going to die. My job was to herald you coming. When are you going to step up? And John was somebody who from his birth had the Holy Spirit. So why didn't he get it? Why did no one get it? Why did John, Jesus' own disciples, I walked around with them all the time when Jesus is walking through Samaria, on his way to Jerusalem, and the people won't receive him, that, you know, James and John say, hey, Lord, how about we call fire down from heaven and, you know, turn these guys into a greasy spot on the path? Jesus, you don't know the spirit that you're talking about. When he entered Jerusalem right before his triumphal entry, which should have been a whole different kind of a triumphal entry, it says, it says he walked in from Bethany, and I'm, I'm told there's a, there's, you, you come up over a rise, you don't see the city until you, you get up on the path up here, and then all of a sudden the, it's there right in front of you. And it says Jesus saw this thing. I mean, he knew where he was going. He knew it was there, but when he saw it, something about it, he knew what he was going to do. And this is the capital city of what was to become God's kingdom on the earth. And he saw what it had become, and he wept. It's not okay. It's not okay what man has done with the kingdom. But there's a solution. And what made God, what made Jesus God understand that it's a, deal, it's a different deal now is because Jesus says, if I go away, it's going to be better for you because you're going to be a new creature, a new creation, the new birth, and the Holy Spirit living in you. You will have my mind, and I'll take of God and give it to you Somebody in the first service asked, and I, mean, I want to try to really quickly get this in, how do you get the Holy Spirit? It's a good question. And I'll give you a really, really quick answer. Jesus said, if you, being evil, that's a good conversation starter right there, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give to whoever asks the Holy Spirit? That's how you get it. You ask. If you're a Christian, you ask for the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit living inside of us is the expression of the kingdom. With a new motivation, of not thinking so highly of ourselves, but thinking about other people is more important than ourselves. Love is what God's all about, not judgment. And we express that when, the, when, the, when that Spirit comes inside. So don't get confused now. I'm going to, I just want to throw this out whenever there's a discussion about the Holy Spirit, I mean, I went through a, a great bit of confusion because we understand that there's this thing called speaking in tongues. And it is an evidence of the of the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, whether or not you're speaking in tongues at that moment, if you ask, you have received it. We're, we're pretty generous when, when people are born again. There's a verse that says, these signs will follow believers. They'll lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. If we, if we had an altar call and we said, everybody who wants to be born again, come on up here. And then we had everybody who wants to be healed of something come up over here. These guys get born again and we say, okay, now you guys go pray for these guys. And we'll get to find out if you're really born again or not. We're a little more lenient than that. Let's be a little better with the Holy Spirit thing. You ask the Holy Spirit to come in and he will be that thing. That helps you to understand the ways of the kingdom of God more than the Pharisees, more than the ones who follow Jesus, more than anyone. That born-again thing where you become all things become new, and that spirit lives inside of you. That's an awesome thing. and it is so readily available, and so everywhere we are that we forget what an amazing thing that is. So in the baptism this afternoon, if you, if you, if you come understand what what these people are stepping into is just something it's a whole new world a whole new world so um, i'm going to say a, a, a short uh, prayer and close and the, there's a group of a prayer team going to be up here if you want to have the holy spirit if you want to become born again if you want to get baptized this afternoon i don't know how that works but i mean i mean, mean you know scheduling wise and stuff but oh, you can, you can? Absolutely. If you become born again, and want to be baptized, let's just do it. We'll just do it. Yeah. You have, uh, we have towels. We have- towels. We're, so we're good. We're good. Yeah. Glad he's on it. So, um, but come forward and talk to talk to these these guys here. These guys, they're not they're not motivated by how much they're getting paid, right? <laughs> there's <laughs> there's something else in them. How's this happen? They're actually motivated by love. What? They are a whole new world. So, so come up and pray. And uh, let, me just, let me just close right now. Father, I, just, I thank you for your world, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you loved the world that you created, the kingdom, your kingdom on the earth, us in charge of this planet under you, with you as, a, as our divine king and our wisdom. I thank you, Father, you didn't abandon that when man went a different way so many times. And now this new thing which says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's us. That's talking about us. With that love and that wisdom and the glory and all of those things that you are, we have the mind of Christ in us. Jesus said to his disciples, said, the spirit is with you. Talking about the spirit that was in him as he walked with them. He said, in but it will be in you. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, is in us. I thank you so much for that, Father. Help us to, help us to renew our minds to these amazing truths so that we can not love the old kingdom that's in the world, but love the kingdom that you've, that you've set out now. In Jesus' name.